This is the Hoboken Grace Podcast. Whether you're in the car or enjoying a walk, we hope you're having a great day. Just like every weekly conversation, we hope today's message deepens your relationship with God and builds into your life in a helpful way. For access to our full podcast library, visit HobokenGrace.com or our app. If I have another chance to meet you, my name is Chris, I'm lead pastor here at Hoboken Grace. And we are currently in the middle of this conversation called adulting. If you haven't been with us, all the previous conversations are available online or in the app. And I encourage you to go back and watch those because right now we're looking at this really important truth that that God creates everything to grow and that God, as he steps into our lives, not only does he create us to grow physically, not only does he create us to grow emotionally, but even when you're born again, even when you're made new, which God says happens as you step into this relationship with God, the problem between us and God is not just what we do. It's our very nature. We must be, as Jesus says, born again. You have to be made new. But even then, As he spiritually brings us back to life, he doesn't bring us back to life mature. He says, okay, I want for you even in that to grow up. I want for you to spiritually grow. And he calls us to this over and over and over again. And we've been looking at one place in particular, one letter in particular, where you see God stepping into our lives and calling us to grow up, but not not just calling us to do it, but also also coming alongside and saying, okay, this is what it looks like. And we understand the significance of this even as you've grown up physically. You understand that if you're going to grow up well, you need role models. And you're looking at those around you and saying, okay, what does it look like to be an adult? And some of you had someone like that in your life, and you thought, oh, that's what it looks like to be an adult. And then you begin to grow up, and you're like, oh, no. That's not what it looks like to be an adult. Well, hopefully you found somebody that helps you understand, okay that's, okay, that's what it looks like to be an adult. And some of you have done that. So, but, but the goal is, as, as we move through this, to be able to identify, okay, oh, oh that's what spir- spiritual maturity looks like. That's where we're going. Now, interestingly enough, we're on week three, and... We're about to dive into chapter three. Some of you have been reading through this letter with us. Maybe you've been reading through it as we move through the series. Some of you have been reading through it once a week. Some of you have been reading it every day as we move through this. And so you know this is only six, this letter, this book, as as you look at the New Testament, is only six chapters long. And today we're going to get into chapter three. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I want to call your attention to it because I think it's significant. At this point, hopefully you've noticed, Paul has not yet talked about anything that is to come. And you think, okay, if we're going to talk about maturity, okay, where are we going? What does this look like? But as we come to this point, and even as we move through chapter 3, you're going to see Paul has not yet talked about, Paul's the author of this letter, has not yet talked about anything that's to come. He's only talked about what's been done. This is is why this is important. Because I think for a lot of us, you say, okay, maturity, where is it that we're going? Where is it that we're going? But Paul doesn't start, start with where we're going. He says, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Before we talk about where we're going, Let's talk about where we've been. 
Before we talk about what's to come, let's talk about what's been done. Because if you don't understand what's been done, there's no point in talking about what's to come. So he's building this foundation, this incredible foundation as he starts this letter. And it has everything to do about what's been done. Because what's been done is the foundation for what's to come. And so he's been walking us through this. In chapter 1, we saw all that God's been doing. In chapter 1, he really focuses in on, on God and what God's been doing and the reality that God is the one who's initiated this in your life and that God is the one who, who stepped into your life first. You did not choose him first. He actually chose to work and to move in your life first. And he set his love on you. And from the beginning of this story, he's been doing that. And he's been working out the purpose of his will. This is what God's been doing. This is what's been done. And then he gets to chapter 2 and he shifts. And he begins to talk about where you've been. And he says, as for you. And then he begins to dive into that. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You didn't have Hope and then God and His mercy and His grace, His unbelievable grace. And last week we talked about this incredible reality of God's grace that we owe everything to God's grace. It's all by God's grace. He walks them through this incredible grace that they've received. All of it is what's been done. Now, at the end of last week, at the end of last week, he walked through this incredible explanation of grace. He says, you need to understand grace. Why? Because you have things to do. You have things to do. And when he makes that transition, you might think, okay, now we're going to talk about what's to come. But he says, wait, 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 we're not done yet. And he goes back into what's, <laughs> what's been done. He says, no, no, wait, we're not quite done with the foundation yet. And so he goes back into, as for you, and he further explains where it is that they were. Not only were they dead in their trespasses and sins, but then he continues. And he begins to talk to them about something else that's true about them, and also something else that Jesus has done for them. So he says, you are God's handiwork, you have been called into this, you have things to do. And then he makes this really quick transition back into as for you. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you, so again, as for you, formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. He says, he says not only were you dead in trespasses, but then he begins to talk about the reality that this church that he's writing to, that most of them were Gentiles. He says, he says, actually, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Now, for those of you who don't know what circumcision is, you should ask your parents. That's not really an appropriate conversation for me to have with you before you have it with them. So you can talk to them about that. But, but the reality is, is that inside of, as God establishes this relationship and as he chooses to move and work through Abraham. And as he calls him out, he says, listen, I want for there to be, he establishes this symbol, this physical symbol of the covenant and the promise that he has with them. And he says, okay, as a symbol of that and you stepping into that, then he calls them to circumcise, to circumcise the males who are born into their families. And it's a, it's a sign that says, okay, I'm stepping into, I'm receiving the promises, I'm engaging the promises of God, not just for myself, but also for my family. And, and, and so he begins to talk about 
this reality. His focus really isn't on the circumcision part of it. It's more the fact that, listen, not only were you dead in your trespasses and sins, but you are also, you're also Gentiles. He says, remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. He says, not only, not only is God's mercy and grace worked in your life because of where you were in terms of your sin. He says, even when you look at what it is that God was doing and the promise and the covenant that he had with the nation of Israel, you were outside of that as well. And you were, you had no, it's, it's interesting that he says this. He says, without hope and without God in the world. Now, it wasn't that they couldn't, it wasn't that a Gentile couldn't convert to become Jewish. It wasn't that they couldn't do that, but it was extremely difficult. And one of the things that had happened, one of the things that had happened is that the religious leaders at the time, and you see this happening throughout the course of time as God is interacting with and, and working with the nation of Israel, they had misunderstood, they had misunderstood the fact that they were chosen. And so rather than them seeing it as something that God intended to use for the purpose of multiplication, they had seen it as something to hoard. We talked in a couple of weeks ago about how God, as he moves into our life, he doesn't say, okay, I'm giving this to you so you can hoard it. He says, I'm giving this to you so you can multiply it. He says that to Abraham, and that was their intent. And, and that's what God had called them to, but really, they hadn't interacted with it that way. They hadn't looked at it that way. They had just hoarded it. And so he says, even inside of that, you were outside of that without hope and without God. And one of the things that's really, this is something that is important as we move through this. And it's kind of a little bit of a side here, but you need to know this. When you're interacting with, and he's going to talk about the shift a little bit here in terms of what God's done, but you really, you really need to understand that there is a massive shift between the Old Testament and the New Testament in a lot of different ways. So here he's going to talk about it in terms of Jews and Gentiles inside of what God's doing and what Jesus has now made possible for the Gentiles, but there's all sorts of shifts that take place as you move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. One of them is a shift in methodology. So when God steps into the life of Abraham and as he begins to move through the nation of Israel, he says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to place you in the middle of the known world. As God gives the nation of Israel the promised land, he doesn't do it just because it's great property. He doesn't say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move you into the promised land because, man, you, it's beautiful. Like, it was beautiful, but that's not the point. The point was actually the location. You see, the, the nation of Israel and the promised land that he gives them is actually at the crossroads of all the known world at that time. All of the trade routes flowed through there. And, and he says, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to separate yourself to me. And, and, and he calls them, rather than calling them to go to the world, he says, no, I'm going to place you in the middle of the world. And as people see, you're going to follow me. And as you follow me, I'm going to bless you. And people are going to know that I'm God. Was the purpose that they would just hoard this to themselves? No, the purpose was that the whole world would see who God was because the nation of Israel 
had separated themselves unto him. They were following him. He was blessing them. But that's not the way, as, as you move through the story, that's not actually what happens because they don't follow him. And so they end up in captivity and all these other things. But, but the methodology was, okay, I'm going to place you here. You're going to separate yourself to me. You're going to follow me. I'm going to bless you. The world's going to see who I am. And, hope, and through that, people are going to be drawn to me. Now, when you get to the New Testament, that drastically shifts. Drastically shifts. Because Jesus gives his life on the cross, and as he comes back to life, as he steps in with his followers and gives them their mission, he says, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. Now, they, they expect that it's going to be the same as it was before. Okay, Jesus has made this possible, and so we're going we're gonna to be set in the middle of the world, and God's going to work, but... Jesus steps in and says, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to stay together. We're going to separate. And so I'm, I'm going to send you literally to the uttermost parts of the world. I want for you to take my message to the entire world, guys. Don't stay together. Leave. The disciples said, such a hard time with this. Such a hard time with this. And even as you look at the story, they struggle to do it. They struggle to do it because there's a lot of different reasons for this. One is that they probably struggled like we do and they valued connection over multiplication. I mean, these, they'd been together for years and they'd been through really, really difficult things together. They were very close. And now Jesus is like, leave each other. They're like, no, no, we'll just stay together. We'll just stay together. It's actually not until the church in Jerusalem is, is persecuted that they actually obey, that they actually do it. And they, they, they struggle with the shift in methodology. I say that because if you're interacting with the Old Testament, you need to understand the differences because if you begin to interact with how God calls the nation of Israel to reach the world, you will actually be, and you do that, you will actually be disobedient to what Jesus calls you to do to reach the world. And sometimes that can happen in the church where we say, okay, well, we're going we're, we're to separate ourselves and we're, gonna be, we're just going to huddle together and, and we're going to follow God. And, and they start to actually live out the methodology of the nation of Israel and what God called them to do instead of living out the methodology that Jesus commissioned his followers with, which was get out of here. But you have to understand that shift. And one of the things that the early church really struggled with was the shift that was happening, that was happening as you move from the Old Testament into the New Testament, as you move from the Jewish scriptures into the Christian scriptures. And Paul here is walking them through this, and he says, you need to understand, not only has God been worked in your life and demonstrated this grace because of where you were in terms of your sin, but also you, you have to understand, you were Gentiles, you were outside of you are outside of this. You are outside of the covenant and the promise without hope and without God. And some of you are sitting here and you're saying, well, who's a Gentile? Like, what, what's that group of people? Who would, who would that be? If you're here and you're not Jewish, it's you. <laughs> it's, it's you. It's everyone Who's not a Jew? Which is a lot of you. 
So you say, who's he talking to here? You. <laughs> He's specifically talking about most of you. He says, you are outside of this. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Why? Because this is really what God's been doing the whole time is working to bring those who are far near. And even when you look at the methodology of the Old Testament and what God was working to do and what He had called them to do, He wanted to do that through them as well. And now, But now it's shifted, and through Jesus, He's taking this to a whole different level. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He says he's, he's broken down any barrier between us. He says, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Now, let me, let me focus in really quickly here. Because as Jesus comes in, he says, okay, he's setting aside the law. And he talks about breaking down this wall. And you say, well, what is the wall of, like, what is he talking about breaking down this wall? The reality is, is that as a Gentile, you could actually convert to Judaism. You could do that. But it was not easy. Because one of the things, if you were a male, is that you were going to have to go through that circumcision thing. And when your parents tell you what it is, you're going to realize, I don't really want to be part of that. And there was this, there's this wall that, the, that often, they're like, ah, there's so much, and I have to. And, and the other thing that you would do is that you would have to step into all of the law and the commandments that were given to the Jewish people. And it's like this huge barrier. If you've been reading through our reading plan, you've... You've heard the New Testament struggle, the New Testament church struggle through this in the book of Acts because the, they're trying to figure out, like, okay, what is it that we what, what is it that we call the church to as it pertains to the law and the commands? And one of the things that they say is we shouldn't make this difficult. We don't need to it, that wall's gone. That there's not that barrier because Jesus has has done away with that. And, he says that he sets it aside. Now, he doesn't set aside the law and the commands by saying they don't matter. He doesn't set aside the law and the commands by, by, by saying, hey, listen, you just don't have to listen to that. He actually sets them aside by fulfilling them. There's other places in the New Testament where we see God teaching this very clearly, that Jesus sets this aside because he actually comes and he lives out the law perfectly. He lives out its commands perfectly. He brings to fulfillment that covenant. And in this moment, you see that promise that God made to Abraham that I'm going to bless the whole world through you actually brought to fruition. So he doesn't set it aside by saying it doesn't matter. No, he sets it aside by actually fulfilling it. And then he ushers in something new. He ushers in a new covenant. And that covenant is not just with the nation of Israel. That covenant is for all nations. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and re regulation. His purpose, pay, pay attention to this word. How many times has he already used this word? 
He's working out the purpose of his will. He's working out the purpose of his will. He's working out the purpose of his will. He's saying it constantly. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. He's talking about the body of Christ. Frequently, Paul talks about the church as the body of Christ. He's talking about creating this new body out of the two. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. Now we are in this together, thus making peace. Not just peace between us and God, but also peace between us and each other. He says, but now his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. I hope you understand the reality that you've been reconciled to God so incredibly Significant, He says he's not just reconciling one group, he's reconciling both through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. This is available to both, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. That should blow you away. You should not be able to read that passage and not think, my goodness, is that actually possible? We, we do this in our, we have this series, an ongoing series through the book of Acts called This Crazy Book. And the main focus of that series is not just to understand Acts, but to understand how to engage Scripture. And one of the things that I've taught you before is that you should come across certain passages and you should say, that's crazy. That's crazy. And when you, when you come to this point, you, you should say that. Let's just practice it again. So on the count of three, I just want you to say it with me. Like, that's, so, you, you know, you, maybe you're like mo- emotional about it. You're like, that's crazy. Maybe just excited about it. that's That's crazy. Like, whatever it is for you, right? On the count of three. Like, one, two, three. Excellent. See, you've learned over the years. It's great. So, but you should, and it should never get old for you. One of the things that I love to do is that I have two, I actually, well, I've, I, I'm a, it's interesting, my Bible's in my office because I'm a visual learner, so I can usually find verses faster by actually flipping to the right page and knowing where it is on the, on the page better than I can memorize numbers. So when I buy Bibles, I usually buy 15 or 20 of the same Bible so I can have them for a long time, and it's always at the same place on the page. But another thing that I like to do is that I have Bibles where I'll underline things and I'll take notes, but I don't usually read that in my personal time with God because I never want to come to this passage and not think, that's crazy. And I want to be able to read it like I'm reading it for that first time. Like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. We have access to God by the Father, by one Spirit, and not just, not just the nation of Israel, but those who are Gentiles. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household adopted into his family built on the foundation of the apostles and his prophets, which Christ Jesus himself, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And then he begins to talk, he begins to paint this other picture. So he talks about the church as the body of Christ. He's bringing this body together. He's brought all of us into this 
together, those who were near, those who were far. He's brought all of us into this together. But then he begins to give us another picture, and it's the picture of a temple. He says, this is actually built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, the stone upon which everything else is built, the stone around, around which everything else orients, the stone around which everything else would crumble if it were to be removed. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit, And again, this is a shift from the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, the temple was static. It was in one place. And where it is that God's Spirit dwells in one place. And it was established in this place, in the middle of the known world, for people to be able to come to and experience. He said, but now, because of what Jesus has done, that's a massive shift. And now, we are going to take that temple to the world. And... So he talks about us being the temple of God in two different ways. One, that you individually, that you individually are a temple of God. And when you step into this relationship with Jesus, he said this in chapter one, that you you receive the spirit of God, that the spirit of God dwells within you. You are that temple to take that to the world. But then here he also talks about it for us collectively, that not only are you individually a temple of the spirit, And let me just stop here for a second because I know some of you are exploring faith and trying to figure out, and you're saying, man, this isn't, this isn't for me. And you just learned that you're a Gentile and, but you're trying to figure this out and I don't, I didn't even know I was a Gentile and is this really for, and maybe this is just for good people. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you've done. If you're here today, it's because God's pursuing you. I absolutely believe that. And this is for you, and he wants for you to know this and to experience this. And so don't feel like we're talking about something that, you're, that you are excluded from. No, it's something that you have been invited into. And, and he, he says, okay, I want for you to understand that this is true of you individually, but it's also true of you collectively. And so he says, collectively, we are that temple. We, God is bringing this together. And this is really significant for those of you who are watching Online, and we talk about the significance of community. If you don't have community, you have to understand, you are missing out on that aspect, that aspect of the Spirit of God. And, and so he says, you, you have an experience of the Spirit of God individually as you're on this journey with him. But also, as we come together collectively, there is another experience of the Spirit of God as he indwells his temple, which is the church. That's one of the reasons why we, why we call you to experience that locally, no matter where you are around the world. And we know that we have people who are with us from all over the world. He says, he says, I want you to understand that you're part of this. And he's bringing together his family. He's bringing together these two groups that once... There was hostility. He says, no, we're in this together and we're part of this temple. And then now this methodology, the temple is not static. Now the temple is moving. It's taking the spirit of God to the world, all over the world. This past week, I had the opportunity to be with World Hope. Last week, I interviewed Anna and she's part of World Hope and Enable the Children. I got to be at one of their conferences and they were sharing stories of all over the world. And it's amazing because you see this in action. It's like individuals taking the Spirit of God around the world. 
It's incredible. He says, this is what God is doing. And then he says, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. And then there's a dash, which means there's going to be a break. Remember, we talked about that in chapter 1. He says, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you've heard, then he talks about the fact that he's been called to bring this message to the Gentiles. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. In other words, surely you've heard that God and his grace worked in my life for me to be able to bring this to you, which I want to reiterate again, Paul talks about the fact that God moved and that God chose him. Why? So that he could hoard it? No. So that he could bring it to the Gentiles. You see this through the entire book. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of. Christ, and he's talking about, don't get, don't get thrown off by this word mystery. He uses it a lot in this book. We talked about, we explained this in chapter one, if you weren't with us. When he's talking about this mystery, he's talking about the reality that in the Old Testament, God made all these promises of what he's going to do. And there were all these prophecies of what he was going to do. And he actually talks about the fact that he's going to bring the whole world into this and that the Gentiles are going to be brought into this. And everyone looked at it and said, how? How would you ever do that? It was a mystery. They didn't know. But as Jesus steps on the scene, all of a sudden they're like, oh my goodness, that's how it works. That's how you're going to do it. That's what you were saying you were going to do the whole time. And so he says, listen, I've been called to bring this to you. And the mystery of how this was going to work out, I've been called to make that known to you. You, He says, this mystery, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. He says, a big part of this mystery is the fact that now we're in, that we are together in this. There's nothing that keeps us apart in this. Members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Jesus, we are no longer outside of the promise. Now we have been brought into that promise. I have become a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. He said, I didn't, listen, I'm not part of this. God didn't entrust me to bring this to you because of me. No, it's because of God's grace given to me through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people. And let me just, let me just stop here for a second because you need, you need to understand the, the significance of this, this line right here. Because oftentimes, and I know as we've moved through this, I've referenced a couple times Paul, and Paul's the author of this letter. So, so, some of you, as we've been talking through this, I, talk, I said Paul, and you're like, Paul, who's, does Paul attend here? Like, is, who's, who's Paul? And that's understandable. But Paul's actually the author of this letter, and Paul was an individual that God used to take the message of Jesus to more of the Roman Empire at the time than anyone else. He plants churches all over the place, and God uses him and speaks through him to be able to write these letters to the church. And, and one of the interesting things about Paul is that it, there's a couple different points in his letters where he talks about being the least of, or, or he talks about his own brokenness. And, and sometimes I'll hear people talk about that, and they'll say, well, that's because of Paul's past. And Paul had a rough past. 
Paul, well, Paul had a complicated past because Paul was a Pharisee, so he was one of the leading religious leaders inside of the Jewish religion. But at the same time, Paul, once the church starts to launch, Paul begins to actually put Christians to death. So if you're here today and you're like, I don't really know if I like Christians, you'd probably connect well with Paul. So, but Paul used to put believers to death. That was actually his job as a Pharisee. And then he encounters Jesus. It changes everything. And oftentimes when Paul says this, I'll hear people teach that, well, this is because of Paul's past and he's reflecting on what it is that he's done. I think, I think that may be part of it. I don't think that's actually what's happening when you see Paul talk about this. Because Paul talks about it more later on the journey than he does early in the journey. Now, here's why I think that matters. This is, this is something that you need to understand about maturity. As you step into maturity, as you step into maturity, you will, if you're maturing, you will begin to have victory in places that you used to experience failure. There will be a movement towards being able to walk away from the things that you need to walk away. That's part of growing up. That's part of growing up spiritually. That's part of maturity. That, man, I used to really struggle with that. I used to fail at that all the time. And now I'm actually growing in that. And as Paul's on this journey, I absolutely believe, no, he's experiencing growth in that and overcoming the flesh. Some of you say, flesh, what are you talking about? When God steps into our life, he says, he says listen, I'm going to make you new from the inside out. But you still have your, you still have your flesh with all of its old habits and hangups. You, you still have all those old tendencies that want to draw you away from God, that want to draw you to that which is destructive. And so you have to feed your spirit and, instead of feeding your flesh. And it, oftentimes it talks about this battle that's going on between these two. Some of you have experienced that. You're like, man, what's happening? And the, the cartoons always describe it as the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. And they're trying to capture what scripture has taught us that no, the spirit has been made new in you and wants to move towards God. And then your flesh actually wants to move away from God. And it describes this battle that we find ourselves in the midst of. And growing up means that you begin to move toward, more towards that. That spirit grows. You begin to overcome the flesh in ways that you didn't before. But there's another thing that happens at the same time. Because as you mature, as you draw close to God, you do begin to experience victory in ways that you used to fail. But you also become acutely aware of just how broken you are. And from back here, you looked at God and you said, oh my goodness, he's holy and loving and it's amazing. And then you grow and you start to experience victory. But as you get closer, you're like, whoa, it's way, his love's way greater than I thought. His like, he's so much greater than I thought. And it, it enlightens the reality and the depth of your brokenness. And so even in saying this, even as Paul's calling us this, he's teaching us something about maturity. As you mature, you become more and more aware of just how broken you were and are. This is why, and I can't say this enough, a proud Christian is an ignorant or immature Christian, if a Christian at all. Because as you draw close to God, 
you always become more humble. Paul's journey towards Christ never resulted in pride. It always resulted in humility. If you're on this journey and you're looking at it and saying, man, I'm mature, and you're growing proud, you may be becoming more moral, but don't fool yourself into believing that you're actually drawing near to God. You are not. There is one thing that always happens when you draw near to God. And that is humility. And so Paul says on the least of these, He says, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Again, it wasn't given to me because I'm special. It wasn't given to me to hoard it. It's given to me, why? For the purpose of multiplication. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. In other words, how this mystery works out, which for the ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His was intent that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. It says his intent was for, for the whole, not just the world, but for even the authorities in heavenly realm, for everyone to be able to see the reality of what he's doing as he's bringing these two together, for what he's doing as he's bringing his family together, according to what? According to his eternal purpose. He's used it a lot now that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, let me stop here for a second because we've walked through this and you, you walk through everything that's happening with the Gentiles and, and you see that he's saying, okay, we're bringing this together. But I'm betting, I, I'm betting that not a lot of you walked into this series and thought, man, I really struggle with being a Gentile. Like, I'm betting that's not the case. I'm, I'm betting that you didn't walk into this and be like, you know, I really struggle with the whole like, like that I'm not a Jew and the promise was given. Like, that's probably not your reality. No? That was a struggle for you? No, it wasn't a struggle for you. And you know, but so what happens is you come to a passage like this, and you're like, what does this even mean? Like, I, yeah, I never, I didn't really even think I was outside of it. Like, I've never even heard it that way. And so what do I do with this passage, and how does this actually impact my life? And that's an important question to ask because I don't think that the Scripture is just important back then. I think it's actually still important today. But what do you do with it? I think it challenges us in this way. You see, one of, the, one of the things that previously the nation of Israel had fallen into is that, they, again, they thought, okay, this is about us and it, we've been chosen at the exclusion of. And, and one of the things that can happen for us is that we begin to believe that or, or, and, and even though you may not have struggled with the Jew-Gentile thing, I'm betting you've struggled with this before, we begin to believe that there are people outside of God's reach. We begin to believe that there are people who are unreachable.
All of us do this. And I'm, I'm betting that you've done it before, where you, you have a friend and you've thought about, like, man, maybe I should tell them my story about what God's done in my life. And then you've thought to yourself, no, they'd never believe. Now, now, it's amazing to me how many times we say no for other people. Because you think, well, not them. Are there people in your life right now that you've said no for? We're talking about Easter that's coming up. In a little while here, we're talking about inviting people to be part of that with you. You're like, well, I'll invite them because I think that they'd probably, they might be interested in what God's doing, but not them. They would know. This is why the foundation of what's been done is so important before we get to what's to come. Because listen, when you say no for someone else, it means you don't understand your own salvation. Because you're looking at it and saying, no, I don't think they would respond to God. Well, it doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't start that way, does it? So what you're really saying is, I don't think that God would work in their life. That's what you're saying. When you understand what's been done, you realize there's no one outside of it. And if anyone should have been outside of it, it would probably be me. (laughs) He's walking them through this says, as for you, let me just make sure we know we're, understand what's been done. And let me jump back just a little bit. It says, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authority, authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he's working out, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he says, in him, And through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, let's break this down real quick. Let's remember what faith is. Because most of us have a a poor definition of faith. So faith is not when you intellectually believe something is true. It's not when, okay, I intellectually think something is true. No, faith is acting like something is true even when you struggle to believe it. It's not when you feel like something's true. It's when you act like something is true, even when you don't feel like it. Jump back to that passage. It says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. He walks through this whole foundation. He says, so I want for you to understand that you can now approach God with freedom and confidence. Do you think you can approach God with freedom and confidence? As you walked in today, did you walk in and say, man, I get get to engage God today. I get to experience God. The Spirit of God is here dwelling not just in me individually, but us collectively. And I get to experience him and engage him with freedom and confidence. 
Is that how you came in? Is that what you believe? You're like, well, you keep saying it, so I think it's probably true. <laughs> but is that how you feel? You say, no. That's why it takes faith. Faith is not when you feel like it's true. Faith is when you act like it's true. The question is not whether you intellectually necessarily can wrap your mind around how it would be true, but whether or not you act like it's true. Will you approach God with freedom and confidence? You know, it's very interesting. I can, when I walk into my home, I can typically tell how the day has gone with my boys. Because my boys approach me very differently based on how the day has gone. And sometimes they approach me with freedom and confidence. Sometimes they hide. He's just laid out this foundation and he says, no, it's all by grace. It's all through grace. So every time dad comes in the door, you get to approach with freedom and confidence. I don't want to just talk about that this morning. I want to practice it. I want to practice it. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. I'm going to lead us out in prayer, and I'm just going to give you a chance to go to him. But to go to him in freedom and confidence by faith, it's going to take faith. You have to act like it's true. You have to talk to him like it's true, even though you're struggling to believe it, even though you're struggling to feel it, to talk to him. God, I'm so excited to be able to engage you today and to talk with you. Then I'm going to share with you what's going on in my life right now. Then I'm going to trust you that you care and you're engaged in it. Freedom and confidence for you to be able to actually experience our dad this way. Will you pray with me? Father, we are so incredibly grateful for all that we've walked through, and we see your incredible grace. And Father, today we come to you and we set aside we set aside all of our brokenness, all of those things that would keep us from you. And in faith, we accept the fact that we have been reconciled to you. In faith, we accept the fact that through your grace and through the sacrifice of Jesus, you've taken all of that brokenness and we can be free from that. And so we set that aside. We, are, we acknowledge as we draw close to you the reality of our brokenness and yet we understand that we are free of that because of your grace and with confidence, with confidence in that today, we engage you. And so, Dad, we pray.
Father, we celebrate you today. We run to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know what, do you know what the most significant thing is in the life of a toddler as they're growing up? You do. You know what it is. It's the relationship that they have with their parents. God steps into our life and says, I want to show you what it is to grow up. Before we start to talk about that, I want you to understand the most important part. is the relationship that you have with me. And if we don't understand, if we misunderstand what's been done, if we misunderstand what's made it possible, if we misunderstand how we get to experience and approach him, it will forever stunt our growth. And so Paul says it starts here, your relationship with your dad. And so I want to challenge you as you move this week to practice what we've learned is possible, to approach with freedom and confidence. Because of what you know, has been done. Dad, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.